I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down writing from personal experience and respecting real people's boundaries as a result. If you'd like to suggest an upcoming topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod, or via email, Breaking Out of breakinginpod at gmail.com. And if you want to help us break even, this is the last, I think, official week of the Breaking Even pledge drive on Patreon, patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. We are hopefully very close. We're recording this pretty far in advance, but like hopefully we're very close to breaking <laughs> even and uh, unlocking a full four hour chaos live stream for you, our lovely patrons at the $1 a month or up prices. Um, But uh, as a reminder, you can always get deeper dives into every topic that we cover on this podcast, including the topic of writing from personal experience at patreon.com slash breaking out pod for just $3 a month. It goes a long way to support us and get you double, sometimes triple the content every month from this podcast. So if that's something you're interested in, please feel free to get involved. Patreon.com slash breaking out pod. We would love to have you. But now let's talk about personal experience and writing from it with our lovely guest, Kelsey. Kelsey Robert, please introduce yourself. You've heard from her before, but let's, <laughs> she didn't really get to introduce herself that time. So Kelsey, who are you? What do you do? What's your, what's your deal? Uh, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Kelsey Rauber. I am a creative director by day and a screenwriter whenever uh, I'm not a creative director, pretty much. <laughs> I work uh, with Christina Rea. We co-own Congested Cat. And I've written one feature that we made in 2017 called About a Donkey. Uh, we made a web series called Kelsey before that. And yeah, I've written a couple of shorts since and a couple of features in the making. Yeah. And and Kelsey is also married to a fellow friend of the pod, Danny, from uh, episode four, Representation Matters. So connections. We're really creating a a podcast cinematic universe here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Kelsey also does our theme music. That's true. That's probably where you've heard her name before. <laughs> so I know a lot of people struggle with the saying like write what you know and how do you actually translate that and what does that really mean and how do you then respect the people in your life and their privacy when you're writing what you know and and Kelsey is someone who you know we had a web series called Kelsey so <laughs> it felt <laughs> it felt like you Kelsey would be the right guest to talk about finding that balance and how you navigate that as someone who does write from personal experience at least a decent amount of time yeah you know before coming on the this podcast i thought about obviously the theme a lot and before i got into screenwriting i was also i was writing songs and one thing that i feel like they both have in common that it took me a really long time to realize just how much power you have when you have a creative outlet where people feel like it's about them. Like I would, (laughs) I, I had multiple people and this is so pathetic to me actually, but like treat me kind of poorly in a relationship and then tell me, Oh, you could write a song about this or, Oh, you can write about this. Like they were doing me a favor by like God. <laughs> giving me some kind of content to write about. It was like, 
I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, that was ridiculous. But it also kind of shows like the power that you have when you make things that other people have access to. And it's interesting because I never, I never start writing by being like, oh, this is what happened to me. I like start with an idea. It usually is an incident that like has happened to me. But everything around it is more fun for me if I create a world that is slightly similar to what the real world is. But it's not fun for me to write what happened. It's fun for Mm -hmm. me to, like, have control of these characters. (laughs) And, I mean, especially with, like, About a Donkey, it had a lot of elements from my family. But the roles within the family, like, that was not true to my life necessarily. But I do think my family, especially my parents, were kind of like, oh, is this what she thinks of us? (laughs) Where it's like, really? This is not you at all. Like, look at this person. This is a combination of a bunch of people that I know. And I do think at the core, they're all kind of me. So like, Mm, if anything, I'm like, I'm pointing out my own flaws through these characters that look similar to people that I know. But I've never written about someone so clearly someone I know, like about someone that I know that I would have been worried about it. I will say- Is that a conscious choice or- Yes. So I am- working I mean it's it's been on a hiatus for a while because I needed to step away but we were I was working with the next co-worker of mine on a script that's a feature about the chaos of our workplace and it just got a little you know I was still working at the company and she had left and she kept bringing up real names and real situations and she's like we should build this in and I'm just like, I still work there. And like, this actually happened. I don't feel comfortable writing this close to like reality, even though it is ridiculous. It is stupid. But like, you have to dress it up in a way that even if that person watched it, they'd be like, oh, that's kind of funny. That's kind of ridiculous. And not be like, hey, I, I would do that. I would do that again. You know, like at that, what are you like, what are you trying to say? Mm-hmm. So. So what are what are your tactics, Kelsey? I'm curious, because like this is something I've struggled with a lot more so when I was a prose writer, but it's starting to be a thing in screenwriting. But like so when you're coming from an incident, so let's just say there is a, a breakup and um, you want to write about like the the, the the kind of breakup that it was because it was inspiring to you, like. How do you start to parcel out, you know, people's real identifiers and like quirks that made the situation what it was without just making like, okay, so this is clearly my ex. This is clearly their best friend. Like, what? how are you assigning traits and assigning reality so that it isn't just a one-to-one comparison? Well, I will say, I think it depends on how close you are to the incident. If you're still very, sure. very hurting, you know, I mm-hmm. don't think it's going to be easy to not write exactly what happened. So I think you have to kind of give it time to also know what can be said in a way that won't be too vulnerable to anyone involved. But I think one thing that I do, if I feel like I can't do that in the moment, I'm like, okay, this is, I need to write about this. I'll actually decide who I think would be great in the role (laughs) and think, okay, if this actress took on this role, how would I write this character for this specific actress? And I think that way I can, I mean, 
the event will still be true, but at least the words or the delivery will be with the actor in mind and not the person. So there's already an inherent level of separation right. because mm-hmm. you're not writing for the person who this right. happened to. You're writing for the person who's performing the right. emotions of what that happened. Yeah. That's I feel really like interesting. That, that works for me. Do you do like actors that you actually know and work with? Or like if Olivia Wilde was playing this character? Yeah, it's fairly actors that I know. I was like shooting for the moon. Okay. And I get back that cast from 2001, Charlie's Angels. And they're actually all in this. Um, so. <laughs> okay. So I want to take a step back and just like, I think it's worth com- like talking about defining the phrase, write what you know, because I think that there's a lot of misconceptions around it. It gets tossed around. And I think everyone has like a different definition of it. So I'm curious for the two of you, when somebody says, write what you know, as a piece of genuine screenwriting advice, what what does your mind go to? How do you define writing what you know, Kelsey? I mean, I think it's just like, don't write from a perspective that isn't authentically yours or that you have a right to like write about I think even when it's like men writing about women it's how well how much time did you take to really dive into this character and not just base it on maybe one person in your life that could be misconstrued in a bigger you know concept I mean, I like to write what I know or situations I've been in. I just, I feel more inspired by incidents. And then I like live in my head. So like, I'm like, oh my God, what if this happened? What if that happened? And then this happened. So like, I'm constantly building stories in my head, but based on an incident that I can relate to or I've been through. And then, yeah, that's just where it kind of takes me. So your jumping off point is what you know, but yeah. like the world that you build around it is entirely fictional. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Christina? Because uh, obviously you have a very different writing style. I think like you're probably on one side of the spectrum. Kelsey's on the other and I'm <laughs> somewhere in the middle. So I'm curious for you. Yeah. What do you when it, when we say write what you know, what does that mean to you? Yeah, to me, it starts with theme. Like I tend to start with themes when I'm trying to write. What is it I'm trying to explore or say? And then... Where I think write what you know, it's 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 tough because then people think like, oh, I can only write who I am in the context of my life. And I don't think that that's really what the saying means. It's more what feelings are you going through? What are the like threat common threads in your life that are that are struggles? that you can sort of turn into something else. Mm-hmm. For me, I think the the where it becomes a, like a, an issue with representation is it's about finding a balance because I I think that people can write characters that aren't the same, you know, like ethnicity as them or the same gender identity as them. What I think is the factor is what are you exploring? Are you exploring what it means to be that identity? Or are you exploring a, like a human condition, aspect of the human condition of life, and that character is written to be that identity, but could be a different identity? And, and what I think like what you need to find balance for then is making sure that you're writing a character who authentically exists as that identity in this context, but mm-hmm. it's not about them. Like you could tell the story without them being this specific ethnic background, right? And so for me, it's like when I evaluate whether or not I have the right to tell the story, it's it's that. It's like, could I swap 
who this person is and still tell the general plot of this, Mm -hmm. then like I have a right and then I have to make sure that I'm getting authenticity in there when I choose who this person is in the circumstances. But I'm not telling a story that isn't my place. Like it's right. And 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 I think like because I think about that a lot from a like collaborating with Kelsey. Like I've never experienced coming out. I wouldn't ever tell a coming out story. That's not like something I've had to emotionally navigate. Mm-hmm. But I can tell a story about falling in love. I can tell right. a story about, you know, introducing a partner to your family, <laughs> you know? So so those are there's like nuance at play there where it's like finding the broader themes and bringing in the emotions you've genuinely experienced, maybe the situations you've genuinely experienced, but heightening them, adding a supernatural context or you know, that's what I like to do a lot, but but it's it's finding your own style and your own experiences within something that isn't just like being a filmmaker or being a writer sure. because that's boring, you know, like generally yeah. only other artists are gonna identify with that then and that's not most people, right? <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that's a good introduction to what I see as the very, like, binary way that people tend to think about right what you know. Like, on, I think, like, the far, let's say, right side, this is not applicable to political ideology. I just, a spectrum has a right and left side. So on the far right side of, like, people who argue about and have discourse about right what you know, I feel like there is a the camp on that side that is, you know, you must only write from your own literal lived experiences for characters of your own literal lived experiences. And to do anything else is harmful. And you must be willing to immediately be completely transparent about your identity and lived experiences as an actual person beyond your writing. Like, Oh, you're writing a trans character? You better be trans. Um, I was right. I was prepping this episode notes for myself um, when the fallout of I identify as an attack helicopter came out and uh, Emily Vanderwerf wrote a really great piece and interviewed the author behind that. Are either of you familiar with this? Um, what happened? No. So the phrase I identify as an attack helicopter, right? It might be I sexually identify as an attack helicopter. I don't know, um, is a transphobic meme that TERFs and transphobic people will use as like a weapon against trans people saying, oh, you identify as a woman now? Well, I identify as an attack helicopter. And a couple of months ago, maybe even a year ago now at this point, somebody wrote a story with that title, but it was like an exploration of it. So it was almost like an irony thing where, you know, I I can write a a story called I hate women. And like the story is about unpacking like that and and like exploring it. And so it was like this very apparently very cool sci fi concept. It was written by a trans woman. But before she identified herself as such, she was just an author. And it turned out it was a pen name for someone who hadn't transitioned yet in their life socially or otherwise. And this was kind of their first foray into fiction writing and into publishing. So all they it was just like her name and like, her age or something like her bio for the app the the story and at first the story was well received you know it was nuanced it was interesting it was in a, a well-respected scientific journal or scientific science science fiction journal excuse me scientific journal for this <laughs> this sci-fi story <laughs> anyways but then people started to get suspicious because the author hadn't been identified one way or the other like is this author trans is this even really a woman and then because like the coupling of kind of using the almost clickbaity 
definitely risky like title that was, you know, calling out a very specific meme and style of discourse. And the fact that the author hadn't identified herself and you couldn't find her anywhere because it was a pen name and she had never lived or presented as a woman elsewhere in her life, people started to get really paranoid and not for wrong reasons. There is a lot of shit that goes down on the internet that people will catfish you to like make Antifa look bad and stuff like that. So um, that was a weird way to pronounce Antifa. But regardless, so they <laughs> Basically, it caused this like huge explosion and people were trying to like find this woman and were accusing her of things and all this stuff. People were telling her to kill herself because they, at a certain oh point, God. everyone got convinced that she was actually like a man, you know, and they were like analyzing the text like, oh, tr- this 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 has to have been written by a cisgender man. Otherwise, they wouldn't have said this. And like, if she was really a trans woman, she would have identified herself as such. So we wouldn't feel so scared about it. And so like, it just became this whole thing where the woman had to like, check herself into a mental facility. She asked for the story to be taken down because she didn't want any more oh, of this. And I, I and even like in this uh, this article that Emily Vanderwerf eventually was the first woman that got to like interview this woman after the fact, not identifying her, obviously, the woman has chosen not to continue transitioning because the way that people reacted made it. She was like, they found me out. I must not be a real woman. So I just won't be. And it was this oh. really interesting thing, like anthropologically, where like even the woman, the the author, like understood where people's fears were coming from and they were her own fears and because there is such an unnuanced way that people often approach writing and storytelling on the internet that is you either tell me your whole backstory so I can trust you that you can write the story or you're some kind of interloper and there's no in-between phase Mm -hmm. and it can create real harm and it's not that these people are coming from a bad place they are scared they have been hurt before but also they perpetuate more hurt by not having a nuanced understanding of what write what you know means and I do not think and this is this is a thing that's happened many times now like I do not think that writers have the obligation to tell you every, you know, unique thing about mm-hmm. their life. I shouldn't mm-hmm. have to give you my blood test so that you know I can write this story. Yeah. But where the line is can often be very challenging. So that's one side of the like right what you know. There's like this sort of ethically pure culture war happening where like only like white queer people can write about other white queer people. We'll still get mad at you for not including people of color, but we'll get mad at you if you include them as well. So then I think there's the other side of it, which is like the more normy bullshit, I think. The other extreme side of right what you know is the thing that Christina kind of alluded to, which is like your lived experiences and the lived experiences of people you know are the best inspiration to pull from. So you should feel free to take ownership of them and also, you know, make that your entire brand, which is how we get 10 million struggling white actors living in too small apartment with too many roommates in Los Angeles and New York stories. Mm-hmm. Like that's where all of those come from is people who are like, well, this is what's happening. So I might as well just kind of transcribe what's going on around me pull people's full identities like okay i'm just going to write my roommate and there it is uh that's also how we get stories like cat person which i was also talking to christina about recently um not about the story of cat person but the story behind the story are you guys familiar with this one (laughs) yeah i sent kelsey the article okay good episode so that just to recap briefly that the cat person was about a woman with a kind of not great sexual encounter with an older man And what ends up being the like real story behind it is that the woman who wrote Cat Person had also dated the real life man, but took the details of the relationship 
from a previous woman the man had dated who she'd never met. And the woman who Cat Person was based on, like the younger woman, worked at a theater, stuff like that, like eventually discovered that this was actually based on her real life, even though she'd never met the author. And it created all these sort of ethical dilemmas of like, why would you take my story and write it? Why wouldn't you even reach out to me? Why wouldn't you change the details? Because like Mm -hmm. a lot of this didn't happen to me, but it was like you put me into a different world and like drew conclusions from it. And so that becomes a weird thing too, where it's like, it's too similar to real life. And either there's the version of it that's just boring, yet another struggling Los Angeles actors project, or it's the like kind of unethical, like I have just taken your life and made it my story and published off of it. And so those are what I see to be like the kind of the two ends of the right way, you know, binary that I think are both toxic and problematic in their own way and I, mm-hmm. I I like the way that you two have already talked about this of like trying to find a middle ground where you're taking inspiration from real literal lived experiences and from your your perspective but you are not like hamstrung by them and it's not a moral question of can you write this if you haven't checked up all these pockets it's more about it's more about being thoughtful about the mm-hmm. stories that you want to tell why you want to tell them and like making sure that there are clear boundaries between reality and fiction, which I think is a much healthier perspective. Yeah, I think, you know, an example, when we were first talking about making about a donkey, we, Kelsey had, you know, she wrote it forever ago. I think I first read it in 2011 or 2012. Oh, wow. And that was the first draft. And I just kind of gave her some notes as like a friend to friend, writer to writer. And then after we made our web series, Kelsey in 2013, and had a lot of success with it and people were kind of wanting more from us we got really excited about about a donkey and we started talking about it with me as director and and kelsey making edits for the intention of it being a film and then we were like can we get real money for it and we talked about trying to figure that out for a couple of years and then we were like let's just crowdfund it and figure out how to make it on 20 grand but somewhere in that in those years i remember at one point i asked kelsey if the family could be not white, like some other ethnicity, because as like a director, I wasn't as interested in directing a fam- a white family. Like that wasn't as someone who isn't white. Although there were definitely parallels to my father's side and there were things that resonated with me. I was wondering just from also just to like give actors of color more roles. And Kelsey said a very important good thing, which was that she couldn't she didn't feel she could write the family dynamics of a non-white family, any other ethnic group, because she knows what it means to exist in specifically a family like this. And while, you know, she could write characters of color in general, there are nuances to being in a specific ethnic group and a family and like I know that as a West Indian like my family is very different from the family in About a Donkey right (laughs) and and like the nuances of even what it means to be queer in that family versus in a white American family and there's layers of like this is a a conservative white family the parents anyway in About a Donkey and the kids are not conservative but there's definitely like an undertone of of racism that I think looks very different than even the rate, like there is, je- there's racism I see on my West Indian side of the family, even though they're all brown, but it's very different and it's a different cultural background. And so like, that was a good conversation we had where ultimately it was like, this is a movie about a white family. And mm-hmm. that's the point, right? 
and and there was no there was no way to really for Kelsey to write a different right. family. Yeah, like maybe if you had co-written it, it would be different. But it, like yeah. as Kelsey's story, yeah, yeah. Also, also coming from a, a white family that is similar to what I saw in About a Donkey, I'm like, yeah. And I've seen other families that they're not like this. This is a white people thing. <laughs> this is definitely a white people thing. I remember seeing, um, I think it was called The Humans on Broadway. It was a play that came out a while back, and it was just about like a white lower middle class family and I remember coming out of it and I was like I didn't enjoy that because it was just like being at dinner with my family and I feel like (laughs) maybe people who don't have this family found something in it but I was like for me it was just like a dinner that I would have left (laughs) this sucks I hate this (laughs) but you know that's the other side of representation sometimes it represents you too well and maybe this isn't for me (laughs) maybe this is for other people's consumption so I'm curious then um, because Kelsey you mentioned that some of your family were like oh this is what she thinks of us like when you were writing that and it was becoming more and more real that it was going to be made were there conversations that you had with the people in your life who inspired the story did you try to just like keep them out of it entirely like what was that process like still being in touch with the people because it's one thing to write about like a breakup or like an ex workplace that you no longer have any connection to but when it's your family or partners and things like that you know how did how did you navigate that honestly I mean I sent them the script but I didn't to me it like isn't them like it's based on a broader family so I I didn't honestly even consider being like is this okay (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, looking back, because I did, my mom was like, oh, you know, is that character, is the mother based on me? And I was like, in what world is that character based on you? No, it's, you know, like that, I, no. But she did ask, I was happy that she asked, because clearly it was something that was bothering her. And I'm glad we talked about it. And I think it also made me more cognizant to be like, when it feels so because obviously like uh, it, there was a gay daughter I was like they also have three kids you don't have three daughters. <laughs> That's, um, I think in the future I would be like you know this is I, well maybe maybe I even wouldn't because I also write couples and I show it to Danny and <laughs> she always dislikes the character that I think is more me like a more <laughs> annoying character because she thinks it's about her And it's like, this is not about us. This is not us. This is a story I would like to write. And like, sure, there will be parallels, like funny things we've we've said in the past. I'd like to like build it in because they're funny. But like, it's it's tough. And just like quickly to come back to Cat Lady, what what uh, what I thought was so interesting there is that the conversation they had afterwards, like the writer, the author of the original piece, was kind of embarrassed. It seemed like. Mm-hmm. But you can't tell me that she didn't write that in like bad faith. Using right. so much information of someone that actually exists within your circle. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like it was that's... like the same town, same job, same age. She was a student, like like literal details that you right. can fact check. Right. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, that to me is honestly mind blowing. I don't know, like it goes first I was like maybe she was just lazy but like no that was it feels so intentional and maybe she was like dealing with her own like complexes needed to do therapy instead of writing this piece but yeah I feel like when you can tell sometimes and people I I think are aware that they have some power or like need to work through something and write it that in a way that is too true to life and it can be hurtful to the people they write about because they don't the other party does not have the option to like counter with their 
their uh, viewpoint. Right. It's not like you're writing battling novels or right. short stories. <laughs> it's like one right. person has the platform and has like basically taken the wind out of your sails and is like, right. nope, this is the story. Yeah, totally. And I think that can also be a challenge in the writing process. Like, so my senior thesis in college when I was still a prose writer is I wrote an epistolary novel told in blogs and emails and sort of the central conflict uh, or the central storytelling device was this, the, the main character who was based on me had a public blog that people at her school read, her family read and had a private blog where she wrote under assumed an assumed name. And it was sort of the dichotomy of her public and private life, but still wanting to perform both aspects and like that but like the actual story was just the story of my last six months of high school when my parents were going through what I saw as a very unexpected divorce and a lot of things happened and I basically just wrote them down and I you know heightened some of the situations but like this novel it can never go anywhere it is I took literal blog posts that I wrote and just transposed them and updated the grammar and that was part of the novel and it was very cathartic (laughs) but looking back at it it's like I used to get really defensive when my thesis advisor would be like, I think that this needs to change. I don't think these characters make sense. And I was like, oh, no, they make sense. And she's like, okay, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, that really literally happened. And she's like, well, that's not the point because this isn't a nonfiction story. Are you writing an essay? I'm like, no, I'm writing a, a, a fiction. I'm like, she's like, okay, then it needs to be fictional. Right. And I had a really hard time with that because I was like, no, it needs to be this because that's true. But because that's true is not the defense that you think it is, <laughs> unless you are literally writing nonfiction the fiction has different rules Mm -hmm. things that seem like fake but are really true seem more fake in fictionalized places and so i think that not only for like your the ethical bounds of writing based on true stories but also for giving yourself the freedom to tell the best version of the story that you can you do need to like be able to take a breath and separate and say okay this is no longer my best friend character this is the character who in Mm -hmm. the story is semi-inspired by my best friend. They have to be two separate people. Otherwise you're going to get into more trouble and the story is probably going to be worse off for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard not to pull from your own life because you get how another person would react to something for Mm -hmm. real, you know, like there are definitely exchanges I've had with Justin, my husband that have made it into some of my scripts because it's just such an authentic moment that like I, I when you're because you need conflict, right? You need conflict to make a story worth telling, right? And I often will mine my own experiences for conflict because I want to create authentic characters and authentic situations. It doesn't mean that every married couple in my writing is me and my husband. In fact, none of those characters are, <laughs> but there are there are definitely parallels because I'm pulling from lived experience to some degree to try and find, to create a fleshed out person that has a layer of conflict or just a, an authentic exchange of some kind. Has Justin ever been upset or like offended or ner- like uncomfortable? I think at this point he's accepted that like <laughs> little that everything is copy, you know, to some degree. <laughs> it's all about communication. And mm-hmm. if I'm going to write something, I will usually tell him and let him, you know, read it before I decide to do anything with it. So it's funny, in uh, in Game Brunch, there's an exchange between Danny, Kelsey's wife, and also friend of the pod. She's acting in it. Her character is being set up with 
Miranda, this other character, and Miranda asks Danny what she does for a living, and Danny says that she's a marketing manager, blah, 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 like she works for some company, sure to be replaced by AI someday. And then she's like, what about you? And then Miranda says that she like uncomfortably says that she works for a tech startup that automates emails for brands and businesses through an AI. And that's what Justin does for a living. And so when he saw that, he was like, oh, you're like making fun of what I do. And I was like, well, come on, you know? (laughs) Like, yeah, you know, I think that's just a funny, funny exchange for them to have. Yeah, so there's some times where he's like, he knows that I'm pulling from something, but I think he, I'm never, I'm, I'm never like, we don't have, this is boring, but we're happy. We're happy. So I think like, <laughs> sorry to disappoint we- <laughs> you guys, but I really love my husband and we have a great relationship. Right. So it's like, there isn't much to pull from that's like making him look bad or that he would be honestly say my I tried to write a character about my fiance and I'm like this is too boring not because you're boring but because there's zero conflict and I feel like to even try to fake some conflict between like you know our characters would just be seem weird and off Mm-hmm. So I've just sort of I'm like, uh, the only time I would ever write us as a couple is if I'm writing a sitcom and I need like a neighbor couple that you basically never see and you come out do like a little bit together and then go back to their house. That's the only authentic <laughs> way to represent our relationship. And I love that about us. There, There is, though, one thing that I think if we fight about anything, it's that he likes to try and solve problems when I just want to vent that's like a thing a dynamic that we have where I'm complaining about something and he goes into problem solver mode and is like have you tried this or you could do this and I'm like I don't I I just want to be pissed off (laughs) and I want you to listen to me and like sympathize with me not and not like give me necessarily the other person's perspective I just want to be mad at that person and like we can maybe when I'm ready to get into problem solver mode great I know you can do that but right now I just want you to hear me and I so sometimes that is a dynamic that comes out in characters but I think that's like a common dynamic with relationships mm-hmm. yeah, in I'm general. Justin so in like, my yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm definitely so. Justin I like I love to solve other people's problems, but sometimes I just need to vent and like I'm not good at taking my own medicine. It's like, can I just talk? Like, don't solve this for me right now. Yeah, no, I mean I can I'm also can sometimes be that person, but not with him because he's like usually what he's venting about is like work stuff that's so complicated and over my head that I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't even solve this for you if I if I wanted to. And so I'm always really good at listening in those moments. But with other people, I definitely try and solve their problems. So having this conversation really quickly, do you either of you like if you have a couple in your story or even not a couple, but like, a, you know, a close friend group or whatever, do you ever ask your partners, like, how would these people react? Like, how would you react if I was if if like this character said this to you? Like, do you ever pull in your partners to like advise on a, an interpersonal thing in a script? I don't because I feel like Justin would give me what he wants to be true <laughs> and not the reality. Like he, uh, we've been together for over 10 years. So I have 10 years of like little moments or disagreements to know how he would react. And for instance, like Justin would like to say that he is level-headed 100% of the time 
and, you know, has like a good control of his emotions. But I know that he's terrible at multitasking. So if you ask him a question when he's in the middle of trying to solve something, he's going to be at like an 11 when he responds, you know. And That's so Quinn does. It's so weird. I'm like, OK, you need to calm down there, friends. He's like, just let me finish the thing I'm doing. Don't ask me right. other questions. Exactly. And so I feel like I don't need to do that because I have sure. someone I've been living with for 10 years that I know, you know, it's it's like, I, yeah, I've never done that. I, I can't even really think of a moment, but I have asked him after writing something if it feels authentic, if it feels mm-hmm. realistic that this is how this would, you know, evolve. To the previous question, there is one thing where Justin did kind of like push back in Silent Night. The very first draft of it, which is my feature script, it's a couple in a car driving and the woman character, I implied she was a novelist and there was conflict about the man's mom thinking little of her for not being like able to make money and contribute equally. And it was rooted in my own insecurity about like not being able to contribute equally to the relationship. But I was bringing it out through a character that would like put literal pressure on this woman character to create tension between them. And Justin was like, if you made this and my mom watched it, she would think that that's what you think of her and that you think she thinks this of you, that like you're not worthy and whatever. And he was like, I wouldn't, be okay with that because like his mom is so lovely and she watches literally everything I make and yeah and so that was a thing where I needed to pull back and like even mm-hmm. though it wasn't even coming from really my mother-in-law and I could say mm-hmm. that it was to coming her, from your own you know yeah insecurities he, right but he was like she would assume and even if you said it's not she wouldn't believe you because like the it's too similar it's too similar it's like she's also indian american the character and she's a writer and so it's like you know even though the male character is not like justin at all because the situation that inspired it is something that happened to me and justin i wrote it with a specific actor in mind to distance him as like kelsey Mm -hmm. does right and so he's very different personality wise she still would interpret it as as a comment on her as a mother-in-law. Right. And so so that was a point where I was like, okay, I, I hear you and you're right. And I went back with that in mind and, and tried to change it and pull back. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can't remember. Maybe I did ask. I feel like some, one of our couple friends did something that I thought was kind of silly. And I was like, what would you think if I just like bought another dog or something like that? But I feel like every time the answer is always like, why? Because <laughs> she always thinks I'm like this close to doing it or I've already done it. And I was like, no, I'm just curious. Like, But what I feel like now when I write, you know, when I read, wrote about a donkey, I also wasn't living at home. I was like, I'd been living in the US for two years. And I feel like there was enough distance, even like a physical distance that I could write in a way that no one would feel like it was about them. So because to me, it really wasn't about any specific person. But now when I write couples, especially if it's a lesbian couple, Danny is the first person I show it to. I mean, sometimes if Danny doesn't read it, then Christina is the first person. Who reads it. But I do feel like <laughs> I have because we live together. And like, we are what you know, we are one almost like, 
mm-hmm. that it feels like I do feel like there it's only fair if she sees what I write, even if it's not about us, because to me, it's never about us. But I, there's there's going to be parallels. And I do feel like she has a right to give feedback in a way that is like, I'm not comfortable with this or you know that's not funny (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think that's important to like if you are writing about people that you love or writing that might seem like it's about people that you love you do have to be open to the feedback of like I know what you're trying to do this is how it's coming across Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's like when we talk about you know pitching and things like that it's not about you being right in the way that you describe things. It's about if you are trying to make somebody feel comfortable or convince somebody of something and that's not happening, then you're not right. Even if you think that you've described it in a perfect way, even if, you know, obviously this isn't me and Justin and so it can't be his mother-in-law, like Mm -hmm. just because it's quote unquote obvious doesn't mean that it feels emotionally obvious and like the literal and emotional obviousness of parallels is something that sometimes people get caught in and try to like use as a shield yeah Mm -hmm. so there's like within your relationships making sure that everyone feels like they've consented to to how the portrayal is because on the external side, people are always going to assume it's autobiographical. Right. Like, I am i don't know how to write single people for the most part now <laughs> because I haven't been single for 11 years, you know? Like, I wouldn't – I don't know what it's like to date right now. I have no <laughs> idea what the etiquette is of certain things. Like, my friend recently asked me – how long he should wait before texting someone. I was like, I honestly have no idea. Like I could tell you (laughs) 10 years ago, but I have no clue what the interpretation would be if you texted right away or waited or whatever. So of course I could do research. I could talk to people who are single and write a character. But generally when I'm pulling from my own life, I write couples because that's what I know. And that's a dynamic that naturally just like is what I'm interested in writing because it's what I'm living. Um, And so anytime I make a thing with a couple, I know that most people are going to assume it's based on my relationship, even if it's so not. And so even if I'm writing something that is not at all like Justin, I will run it by him if it could be interpreted in a negative way at all, just so that he is comfortable because there will be the assumption that it's based on him from other people, at least somewhat. Mm-hmm. And and that's especially if the character like is ethnically similar to either of us, right? In terms of the casting. Mm-hmm. And so those sure. are just that's just something I try to be conscious of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you know what's funny is that I almost never write couples because I find mm-hmm. them boring, and so because <laughs> I like I've been with Quinn for almost nine years, so like when you know it's it's not mm-hmm. a dissimilar thing. I don't super remember what it's like being single, but I also think that I maybe do a little bit more because we're very like solitary people, and like we mm-hmm. love being together. But like oftentimes for us, what together means is that we're in the same room doing different things, and that's great. Mm-hmm. And it means that I can turn to him and like make some color commentary or whatever or he can send Mm -hmm. me a meme or something but like a lot of times we are very singular and so maybe I just remember what being single is more but yeah I don't find couples interesting at all at least not in the (laughs) stories that I'm currently telling I'm like oh you're so tied down because I think like for me when I became a part of this couple and we got serious very quickly I was like 
okay, this part of my life is basically fully locked down. Everything is cool. And it has been for nine Mm -hmm. years. And I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. that's not going to be narratively interesting. (laughs) If this is working, I don't know what where the drama comes from. And then I will have to invent drama. And then I'll feel bad because it will look like I'm trying to create drama for me and Quinn, because we're not narratively interesting. But even he's like, no, we're not narratively interesting. Isn't it awesome? (laughs) Yes, it is. But it's funny because uh, one of the pilots that I'm working on right now is based on my best friend from childhood and I, and we're very different people. We've also never fought. Like we we had periods in our lives where we didn't talk as much just because like we were both had our own lives going on because we were like truly so different. Like she's, you know, we're both politically similar, but you know, she is Mormon and is married and has a kid now and lives in Utah. And I'm me with stupid colored hair living in New York City and and in (laughs) sin and all this sort of stuff. But like, you know, that's never been a problem for us. But when writing about characters that are us, the drama is going to naturally come from the things that make us different that for our real lives wouldn't be an issue. But for, you Mm -hmm. know, the fictional versions do need to have something. And I was writing this pilot and I sent it to her and I was like, so I'm having a hard time because I know our characters need to fight, but we don't fight what should we be fighting about? And I just, I just straight up asked her, I was like, listen, this is what I'm doing. I think it's going to be really cool. And she's like, Oh, I love this idea. This is so fun. And she, the first thing she did, she's like, well, you should pull more from who I am. And I was like, what are you talking about? I am. And that's a problem because we don't fight. And she's like, I know, but like, listen, I am, you know, and she lists like three negative things about herself. She's like, I bet that if we were living in the same place and had to work together, that would suck for you. So use that. <laughs> she was like, use my bad, the bad things about me to tell the story. And I was like, I feel very weird about this, but I guess I'm glad you're bringing it up. And so that was kind of lovely <laughs> to be able to just like have this conversation. And I was like, oh, you know, what? you're right. And here's things about me that you would hate. She's like, yeah, totally. <laughs> and we could just have this very like high level, completely impersonal conversation about like, wow, if we were just a little bit different and had a little bit different circumstances, we would not get along at all. Write that version of us. And that was right. kind of freeing. And it, it made me feel a lot more comfortable about like anything I do in this story. I know she's not going to take it personally because I checked with her and she's like, you should make it more personal. <laughs> and that was kind of nice. And honestly, like I had been trying to write a version of this story for years and couldn't figure it out. I think because I was insecure about like, oh, no, is she going to think this is what I think about us? And now I know that's not at all what she thinks about us. And that's what's exciting. And it's almost like she's given me permission to explore and to make decisions in the story that like, you know, might feel pointed, but aren't because I (laughs) I really genuinely had an issue making them feel pointed before. And so Mm -hmm. that that was a very different experience for me and has been really fun to kind of free myself of the tethers of reality and the tethers of if I have completely left reality behind, what will she interpret from that? Now Mm -hmm. I know because we had the conversation and she was very open about it. And that if she wasn't, I would have stopped and I would have had to be okay with that. I would have had to be okay with completely moving away from that concept and trying something new. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, I think one of my goals in life is to write either a show or a feature film about a married couple that is married throughout. <laughs> it's about the couple. And it's mm-hmm. like, people will care. And I do find that is extremely yeah. difficult. Like, I mm-hmm. love, yeah. Yeah. love writing like happy endings. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. maybe I'm not even that good at writing single people, but I like them to be single and like end up together. Like, yeah. I love the like, mm-hmm. will they, won't they on all of the like rom-coms mm-hmm. or shows watching, like, I watched growing up. But it, it it's so true. And I just, I 
I have to believe there's a way to do it, but I have no, like, (laughs) do you think it's possible? I guess. Can you write about a married couple that isn't revolutionary road? Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, that's like, that's part of why I like writing couples, but I also, for instance, Silent Night. That's true. Is very intentionally about a married couple that is happy and they have like their own aspects in which they're unsatisfied, like career wise, they haven't, they're not where they want to be, but they, the reason why they survive this horror movie is because they have a healthy relationship where they work together and they, they save each other throughout and they sort of don't play into tropes and expectations. But one of the feedback I keep getting when I show it to people is that there isn't enough conflict between them in the beginning for them to overcome at the end. And I'm like, that's the point because the conflict is external and I want to show a happy couple Mm -hmm. and I'm tired of seeing couples who like, it's always a metaphor for their unhappy marriage. You know, like that's whenever there's a couple, they're unhappy or one of them has cheated or, you know, something that is just so not my experience. Mm -hmm. And I think they're really interesting and fun. I think it's a fun movie and, and that's what it's supposed to be. And they're married and they're happily married. And I think that it's just interesting that I get that feedback from people that they want this like conflict where it's like, oh, she wants kids and he doesn't, or he wants kids and she doesn't. And I'm like, I don't, but I don't want to tell that story. I don't want to tell a story about a couple that's disagreeing and unhappy and in a rut at the beginning. And then they like fight a monster together and then they make it work. I want to tell a story about a happy couple that has to fight a fucking monster together. And the reason they survive in the end is because they're good communicators and they're good collaborators and they've built a life together so they can fucking fight a monster together, you know? And like, it's just so interesting that people don't just, their go-to is to create drama between them. And, and yeah, like that is a frustration I have on TV where just every couple, someone cheats, like you get to season three and you're out of ideas for them. So someone has to be unfaithful in a monogamous mm-hmm. relationship. Emotionally just, or otherwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, can't we mine drama from somewhere else? Like they're individual people who have their own things going on beyond each other and you can find drama for either of them together that isn't about one of them being a disloyal or unfaithful or just a poor partner in life you know right yeah I also hate when like conflict in tv for couples especially we're very off topic but I do think it's an interesting concept (laughs) but like is is when like conflicts with couples especially like long-term couples come from like not communicating well and it's like how did you stay married for 10 years yes and now you start keeping secrets like nothing Mm -hmm. about your relationship before that makes that make sense like Mm -hmm. that you know there's no catharsis there's no like there's no seed of a moment where they stop trusting each other it's like everything is fine and then they're like yeah season three they run out of ideas i guess i'll have an emotional affair with my work wife and it's like right where did that come from yeah it sounds like you're actually not in a good relationship i also think like Mm -hmm. christina to your thing about silent night and like you know, their superpower as a couple is that they're a great couple is that like, I do find it very frustrating when like there is a couple that is having trouble and then an external supernatural monster forces them to work together. And it's like, what about next time you are in trouble? Like, do you have to go (laughs) monster hunting every time you're having marital problems? Like, that's so sad. That's not a happy ending that you're good together at the end. That's, that's so scary. 
<laughs> like right. you shouldn't need an external force. And it's similar to like the rom-com trope of like the grand gesture, you know, that one of them has to make a grand gesture in order for them who clearly had like a terrible relationship up to that point to realize like, no, we're meant to be together. You know, the notebook style of nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's like, this sound, do you, are you really happy? This seems really mm-hmm. bad. Sure. They did one nice thing. Cause they listened to you once. That's mm-hmm. not what a relationship is. And I think that us hanging so many expectations of like what it means to be married or in a long-term relationship on these big tentpole things and ignoring the sort of quieter mm-hmm. moments is maybe a reason why all three of us should be writing more about couples. You know, <laughs> we're seemingly in right. very healthy relationships and maybe that's a that's something that we should be mining more of like what are right. the quieter disagreements? What are the quieter agreements that like maybe don't seem dramatic but dramatically change the way that you exist in other parts of your life? Maybe healthy relationships are something we should be mining more. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I think like the short answer is yes, it's possible. Christina has done it and let's <laughs> get Silent Night made. <laughs> no, but I, I do honestly like basic like basic storylines without supernatural elements bore me in general. So I'm sure. trying to think like, could I even write a show that's ongoing about a couple? Because most of that will just be them like binge watching stuff on their couch because that's like most of being (laughs) a married couple, I think, you know, in terms of a day to day. And so I feel like you totally can. It's just what is this? What is the bigger story and what are you placing them in Mm -hmm. that where the drama isn't like that's why I would never write. I would never write a show that's just a drama. That's not my thing, because then you do have Mm -hmm. to find drama just from like the interpersonal relationships and you run out of external things to bring in to make them interesting and and so I understand why shows do it but I also think that there's got to be a way I don't know like Friday Night Lights I think is a good show for a married couple they definitely have some like gender norms that I don't agree with personally but from a from a portrayal of like an older school couple in Texas there that's a good portrayal of a of a couple that I don't think either of them cheats and they like talk about Mm-mm. their shit and they have real problems and they come together at the end of the day and they each make sacrifices for each other and it does have like a nice gender sort of reversal in its finale for them I think that's like really the only married couple I've seen in a drama where mm-hmm. I felt like that was a good portrayal of marriage that mm-hmm. didn't pull in drama just because and sort of stayed authentic to who they are as people and what their relationship was originally presented as. Right. Well, the conflicts seem rooted in reality and it like, it Mm -hmm. makes sense because like, even in our good relationships, we know we've taught, even in our like creative partnerships episode two, two episodes ago, we were all talking about like the differences in the way that all of us approach work and like how that's often complimentary, but how it can often cause conflict. And it's not that you stop respecting someone or loving someone because they react differently from you. Like that's just something you have to work through and so instead of it being i'm just gonna go cheat on you and that's where all the drama is gonna come from i think the drama can Mm -hmm. come from people having two very different ways of solving problems and when an external force whether it's a person or a supernatural element or whatever is introduced the different ways that they react to it can cause conflict it doesn't change the reality of their relationship it actually like builds from that reality and then they have to find new ways through with this you know new external thing we're now just like doing a, a writer's room about how to write couples. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sorry. That was my. No, I, I think it's <laughs> no, interesting. Yeah. I love having I conversations too. like this. <laughs> and too. I don't have a well, lot of I friends mean, in serious relationships. Just... So this is lovely. 
Right. And there's just so many shows about dating. And like some of them Mm, are really fun and charming, but some of them are so repetitive. And it's like, well, what happens after you decide to be together? Like that, I think, is so much more interesting to me is now trying to blend your life with someone after you've fallen in love. Because, yeah, like rom-coms end with a big grand gesture and now they're a couple and that's like happily ever after and that's not reality right that's like the real story starts after that and people do have such a hard time I don't know I think part of it is like just as a culture we create we we present marriage and a relationship as aspirational like something you you achieve and Mm -hmm. and obviously like the divorce rate is is terrible and I think it's partly because people get married for the wrong reason because they 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 decide to be with someone because of what they think that happily ever after is and the things that excite them in the beginning and Mm -hmm. not about sort of about what Chris was saying in that partnership episode where it's like your values the foundational Mm -hmm. stuff needs to be there for a long-term relationship and and so I don't know like for me I met I met Justin pretty young and I didn't plan for it to be like I was never I was never someone who was thinking about a wedding or a celebration of achieving marriage Mm -hmm. that was never my mindset and so I don't find the pursuit of that interesting I happen to fall in love with this person who is my person and you know and we're building a life together and we love each other and we make sense together. And we also have had growing pains and making our lives make sense together because we are different people who have different habits and, and we're also very solitary people. So we like our alone time and there are things that make us work. But the point I'm trying to make is just like, I find all of that more interesting than the falling in love or like the, the sort of rom-com presentation of falling in love. Sure. And I would like to see more representation of of making a relationship work right. and and showing people who are already together and have chosen to be together and continue to choose each other, you know. That's nice. F- fun fact, I just researched it. Um millennial uh divorce rates are 26 or there were our our marriage rate is the lowest at 26%, but we also have wow. a lower um we have a lower divorce rate as a result. So I think that the divorce rate was really you know, a, a a thing of women from previous generations largely like finally be having the financial right. and and social ability to be separate. That they were like, well, fuck this. Um, and I think our generation, right. you know, like we have lower birth rates, which is probably eventually going to be an issue. We have, yeah. but we also have lower divorce rates and things like that because mm-hmm. you know, we 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 know that we can take it slower and make decisions that make sense rather than you know decisions that we have to make because of external forces right I think yeah I mean I think our decision making in general is is much more substantial it's about substance of like what we actually want in life and not about what we're expected to want or think we're supposed to want and also just there's so much obviously like women having more agency across the board so marriage not being about stability because you can work and there's been more representation of like women's pleasure and that that being actually a priority in a marriage if you're if you're allosexual anyway and so there's there's just like been growth as a whole yeah I think that we're still making content though that's sort of like for an older target audience yeah because that's they, they're who set the rules and so the standards of those previous generations still force us into these weird boxes that right definitely don't make sense anymore 
But I do yeah. feel like if you think about, uh, I can't remember. It's I think it was Jim Belushi, and I don't know if I should like, but he had this terrible sitcom, and I truly think this sitcom was based on Kevin can go fuck himself or whatever the show is. Oh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, one. But like, think about that generation that had so many shows over like this is so toxic but it's hilarious <laughs> and it's right. like no you were normalizing this horrible 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 behavior then i think people are like oh wait hold up this is actually terrible let's get out of here and yeah i think maybe maybe we are slowly moving into a direction where people are more open to be like hey you know we don't need this like will they won't they this is a, this is a strong couple this is what this looks like and it can still be funny and it it will always have conflicts like humans will just humans are humans like there's mm-hmm. you know you're gonna have disagreements and everyone's gonna grow and you change like there's no way of stopping that train yeah i haven't seen any i don't know if there are any current like sitcoms that are specifically about a married couple the way that there were so many in the 90s where it was like terrible husband right. nagging wife sort right. of dynamics that have been subverted but I will say that I've seen like two of my favorite will they won't they couples of recent years both have an Amy in them and that's on Superstore <laughs> and on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Which, oh you know, yeah, those are good ones. Ignoring yes. the, you know, cops of it all on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> I'm very, uh, oh, I think they their new season premiered yesterday. Now I want to watch that because I know too. that they, they gave a lot of interviews about like how they're they're making some serious fundamental changes and I'm fascinated to see how they pivot. Very interesting. Me too. But I will say that those are two shows where it's like they manage to bring the couples together and keep them funny and interesting and not have mm-hmm. it be the drama coming from people trying to break them up, but rather now put these personalities together and they make sense and they work, but there's also like some humor within that. Right. And that so like those are two that I I think have been successful. Yeah. This has we should just change the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so like unpacking married couples in media. You know what's funny yeah. though is like when I first started dating Quinn, I spent like the first six months like in a mostly blind panic because like things were going really well, but like based on media representation, I thought that like the secret to like being a healthy couple is to be able to fight but then make up afterwards. And it was about like, you know, the makeup and not the preventative measures of not fighting. I'd never seen the representation for what a genuinely healthy relationship looked like that wasn't built on some sort of drama. It's because we're all conditioned. Yeah, we're conditioned through media to see like these actually toxic relationships as aspirational. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, that's not healthy. And so to bring it back around, we need more people in healthy relationships to write what they know. (laughs) That's uh, that's what we need more of. But with their partner's feelings in mind. Yes. That's that's what that's what we've come full circle. (laughs) Perfect. We've solved it. it. Congratulations. Amazing. Is there anything else that we haven't covered just about like any other anecdotes that you want to tell from writing something from personal experience or choosing not to any other advice we'd give people who are trying to figure out like I want to tell a story about this thing where what angle should I come to it at like any any thoughts overall? 
I feel like, again, I, I mean, it depends on what you're writing for. I also feel like I sometimes write for like therapy to, for me to like process what, what has happened. And I think your first draft can be fully with you in mind. But then like, as you are like, feeling more comfortable about whatever you've written, like consider everyone that is included in your script who it might, who might feel too seen <laughs> or too like, yeah, too similar to their actual personality. I mean, it always comes back to communication. So I, I feel like that's, that's really yeah. the key. And sometimes, you know, something is just to get it out. Like you've written it to get it out and process it, but that doesn't mean it needs to be more than that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the, like a little grain of something in that can become something else. But it doesn't mean, you know, you can use such a little piece of reality mm-hmm. and bring it into a totally different story. It doesn't have to be what sparked the idea or what initially you wanted to put on the page. I think it's, I usually, I think with any story, when you really try to move forward with it beyond a first draft or an outline or whatever, but you're like, this is going to be something. You should be asking yourself why and what are you trying to say? What do you want people to experience from this? What do you want them to take away from it? And maybe that thing can be in a different package, you know, like whatever Mm -hmm. the kernel of what the why is can be packaged differently. Yeah, just be open to using metaphors and allegories and and changing things up and and really just keeping that thread you're trying to get across. That's what really has to stay. I think that's a good way to think about it. I think that the 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 packaging is an important thing to pin on because I think that a lot of people get caught up with this is an interesting concept. This is an interesting incident that happened. This is an interesting relationship that I have with this person. Like for me, for Mm -hmm. a long time, I was, uh, I met a boy on Facebook and it went terrible. And there's a lot to mine from that. But instead of thinking so much about like that situation was really interesting, what question I should be asking myself if I do ever want to explore that in a way that won't just get me sued is (laughs) why is it interesting? What is interesting about it? Like, it can't just be, you met a person on Facebook and it went bad. Here's all the ways it went bad. It's, what does this say about modern relationships? What does this say about the way that the internet can, like, connect us and isolate us at the same time? Like, maybe that is more the story I want to tell. And so instead of it being, well, I just need to write down this version of events because I think that it was an interesting story. If you're not doing an essay, (laughs) you're telling a story figure out what about that story is really what speaks to you. Maybe it's just the emotional core of feeling like, you know, something for the first time in your life. And that's what you center it around. And then it doesn't need to have the casing that it came in in your actual life. And it can still be true and based on personal experience. But the the packaging, like Christina said, is totally different. And, and oftentimes that'll help you break away from the defensiveness of that's really what happened and right. more tap into how do I portray how this made me feel, how this dynamic made me feel, how this treatment made me feel in an authentic way. Yeah. Any, any final thoughts or are we, have, have we put it to bed? This is how you write from personal experience. <laughs> Have we done it? Have we succeeded? (laughs) I think so. I think there's obviously other layers to it because, you know, if we start to get into the representation aspect of it, then you would want to talk about bringing in maybe co-writers or consultants because sometimes it does make sense for you to package it a certain way, but to do so responsibly and authentically Mm -hmm. and sensitively 
you want to bring in other people so it's not just your perspective influencing that you know and so there's there's obviously that whole conversation as well yeah 100%. well thanks so much kelsey for being a guest again thank you thanks so much for having me <laughs> and thank you to kelsey robert again for our theme music <laughs> And to Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them are in our episode description. And thank you to our Booby VIPs, Shannon Sprangler, Jules Piggott, Rain Bernal, Kelsey Rauber, Jerry Maravia, Norman Steinberg, Amanda Blunt, Anthony Epp, Kim Garland, and Shana Rose Woolley. If you would like a name shout out at the end of every episode, please feel free to subscribe at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. It is the final week of our Breaking Even pledge drive, and we are so close to breaking even and being able to be at net neutral for what it costs to make this podcast for you so that we can do bigger, better, more interesting things in the future. So if you want to join us there to support us and to get yourself some bonus goodies, including a bunch of great additional content to help you navigate telling personal stories better, uh, sign up patreon.com slash breaking out pod. There's a bunch of great resources there and we would love to have you. Also, if you haven't already, please rate us five stars on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Written reviews actually make a huge difference and we love reading them. So um, for everyone who's already done that, thank you so much. And for everyone who is about to do that, thank you in the future. Next episode, we will be covering pre-production and all that entails and how the length of the project influences the shape of its preparation. So be sure to tune in then.